Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Don, the CTO of Pega Systems, and we discuss the different aspects of digital transformation, finding employees who are relentlessly curious about the customer, and how doing improv may be the secret weapon to progressing in your career. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, Joel. How are you? Fantastic, man. How are you doing? I am great. Dude, I'm so pumped up right now to be talking to you. Oh, this is very exciting for me, too. I watched your crazy videos. <laughs> they were unbelievable, man. You're like throwing oh, laptops. You. You're go- it's like, it's, it's good. Well, you can't, you gotta, you gotta make things at least interesting for people, right? You can't, you can't, you can't do, uh, you can't do just your standard sort of tech presentation or people are going to tune out and go find something else to look at. Right. I'm learning all about customers and value and I'm, I'm learning, but yeah, I really, I really like the style. They, they, Chloe called me over. She said, you're going to love this guy. They were like passing your video around the office and everything like that. It was pretty oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm pumped. By the way, this is the podcast. That's what I figured. I figured we're in it. Yeah. We're in it. We go, we go deep, we go right into it. But one thing I'm curious, like with you, a lot of the people, a lot of CTOs I talk to, they start out in engineering. Looks like you started out in sales. So, so I actually started out in uh, support and engineering. Oh, so my okay. First, my first role at Pega was uh, on the support team. I carried a pager. I troubleshot like Vax batch jobs that went wrong at like <laughs> two, three in the morning. I like I, early on in my career, I was writing JCL scripts for like one of the largest banks in the U.S. on their mainframe. So, so I started there, and then I actually found myself as a Java programmer for uh, a, a number of years, actually wrote a decent amount of Java code uh, just down in engineering. And eventually the opportunity kind of came around to do a little more customer facing stuff. And I happened to have, I happened to ha- have enough knowledge of how the product work and was also an engineer who wasn't, wasn't afraid to go talk to people. So I ended, up, uh, I ended up doing a lot more of sort of the technical sales side. Not so Vax. So you've been there. How long have you been there? Like twenty years? I've been with Pega for twenty years. Yeah. So I, I've, <laughs> I've seen the, I've seen portions of the technology. You know, I, again, like I said, I've written JCL code. So I've, I've, I've touched some tech that a lot of people don't uh, coming into the world today don't really even know about. Even though in a lot of the big enterprises, it's still running a lot of the banking systems we use. Yes. I was just doing a, some people, sometimes they call and they ask like for me to connect them with other people or help or advice. And I'm talking to this one guy about a, a project that they're working on and they're like moving things off of mainframes and like, yeah. that's the project. And I was like, Whoa, he's like, yeah, their whole infrastructure, everything is still on this. And it was like a very important company and a very important business. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the, the incredible thing that a lot of what those organizations are struggling with is that there's no there's no no new resources it's not like people are leaving college that know how to do kicks programming right so like you've got all these massive core systems that are still running in the mainframe and a whole bunch of guys with beards and coke bottle glasses who are like nearing retirement age and there's no sort of transition plan i i wouldn't be surprised if the y2k thing that kind of ended up being a dud the mainframe programmer retirement actually becomes the cliff that really impacts enterprise IT in, in a much broader way. Dude, it actually is an issue. We had someone on the show and they kept all the information private, but here was the gist of it. 
a utility that supports 3 million people for like water or electric services. Yeah. Uh, they're people, all the people that made the systems, like no documentation, all have since retired or died. And they had no idea how to do anything with any of the systems. And so they had a consulting company come in and like backwards analyze everything. Oh, yeah. yeah there, 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 are, there are a couple of startups that are actually big basically coming into the world of like, we're just going to provide mainframe programming skills or mainframe transition skills because there's going to be this huge sort of need. So, Well, at least like when I'm 80, my retirement plan is like writing SQL for people. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. You'll be, you'll be the last of the database jockeys out there, you know, actually writing SQL and building Oracle indexes. Right. Everyone will be so far up on ORMs. They have no idea what's even happening below, yeah. but Anyways, I want to apologize a little bit because internally I've been calling you Pegasus because <laughs> yeah, that's fine. It just sounds really cool, but Pega sounds really cool too. Pega, yeah, we generate Pega or Pega Systems. I think is the official company name, but we've we've been going by Pega for 15 years or so. Yeah, they were telling us in the office. They said it's Pega Systems, and I was like, oh, Pegasus. I was like, they they shorten it somehow. I don't think internally they say Pega Systems every time they're talking. But Pega is even more efficient than my it version. Is, it is. We we saved we saved a lot of time every year once we took the system off. We just got <laughs> Pega made everything more, more. We get we got incredibly more efficient inside the company. I would like to have been a part of that strategy, that board meeting. Like this is our big thing, our big initiative for 2017. We're gonna get 30 percent ROI on this. We're gonna shorten our name. Shorten our internally. name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now that we're talking about this, what what does Pega do? So we're we're in the business of helping some of the largest organizations in the world make the really complicated world of digital transformation simple, right? Okay. And we really do that. We really do that in two ways. You know, we really look at how do we help these organizations engage their customers in a way that is more personalized, more direct drives better value on both sides of the equation? And then how do we help them get their work done? Like how do we help automate and manage the big processes that are a result of things like servicing customers and onboarding new customers? So bringing that one-to-one -one nature to customer engagement while also then being able to automate all the processes and experiences that come out of the back end of that. I like it. It, I think I watched the video a little bit about that. I like how in the video you actually use like real terms and that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of refer to what we do as we we help companies make decisions and we help them get work done, right? So if you look at a company like Sprint or Commonwealth Bank of Australia, Commonwealth Bank of Australia uses Pega across eighteen different channels, and about fifty million times a day, our software figures out when I'm talking to this customer, what's the conversation I should be having. Should we be recommending a service to them? Should we be offering them a new product? Should we just thank them for having been a customer for 10 years? But what's the conversation that's gonna be most valuable to the customer? And it's really just about making those decisions using all the data, that's where the AI stuff comes in, and doing it in real time. And then on the you know, get work done side, you know, we work with organizations like Cisco to manage um, all of their order fulfillment or like Google uses us, believe it or not, to manage how they roll out changes in their network. Um, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So it's, it's cool. And part of what makes the job fun is we work with the largest organizations in the world. So we're really tackling some of the hairiest, most complicated problems. How do, how do we solve this? How do we make this work? And how do we help this big company through both the technical and cultural transformation that they need to go through? 
Oh, really? So you, you've Matt, you've learned both parts then, you know, how to not only do it technically, but then deal with all the people issues. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I think you have to, you know, the, 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 one of the things that we're talking about at our, our upcoming conference, you know, we, we talk about that make decisions, get work done as sort of like brain, right. Make decisions and muscle. Right. But increasingly we're also talking about, well, it's brain muscle and also heart. How do you actually understand, you know, when you're driving big transformation, like in some cases, the technology has got to be really good, but the technology is the easy part. How do I get my people to come along with that change? How do I get marketers who are used to sending out bat, you know, batch and blast email campaigns every month to totally change their way of thinking and think about each customer interaction as a one-to-one -one experience? How do I get you know, engineers Ooh. that are used to being code jockeys and cranking out a whole bunch of handcrafted code to give some of that control to the business to use model-driven or low-code tools to build some of these applications themselves? The, the, the making that human transformation in the business, I think, is equally as powerful or as important as you know, actually getting and standing up a SaaS instance somewhere, right? So, Hey, do you know who Gary Vee is? No. Okay, so you gotta check this guy out. Okay, he's all about marketing, all about value, things like okay. that. He works with Fortune 500 type companies. They do more like I think he, I think the, their core business, like they control ad spend. So I don't okay. think he conflicts with you at all. But um, he's really cool, and he's got uh, he's built like an 800 million dollar company in the past like six seven years or whatever. And he's got this chief heart officer. And so okay. he said brain, muscle, and heart. And she, I follow her on LinkedIn, and I had a call with her once. Um, just to chat because she's in learning and development slash people ops slash yep. chief heart officer. And you would like her style, like the way that she talks about it. Cause she talks about a very similar, like the brain muscle. And like, she said the next trend, like it was your muscles back in the day when we would lift yeah. stuff, then it became brain power for engineering. And the next trend that we're in right now is heart. Yeah. Well, and I think that I, you know, one of the interesting things that we've been talking a lot about is, you know, AI technology at its core, is about optimization, right? That's what AI machine learning algorithms do. They optimize to an outcome, right? So I can use, you know, I can use deep learning to optimize image recognition so that I can identify, this is a picture of a boy with a bicycle. And isn't that amazing? But I'm optimizing to an outcome, right? And when we use AI technology to drive decisioning, we're optimizing to an outcome. What's gonna drive the best customer value? What's gonna drive a higher NPS score? What's gonna drive a um, you know, reduced risk or reduced cost of service? But what AI is not gonna do is have empathy for the human being on the other side of the conversation, right? What AI is not gonna do is understand how to listen to somebody, like a customer, when they're having a really troublesome moment and create the human relationship that actually makes them feel better, right? Yeah. That's gonna take a customer service agent, not a chatbot to make that happen. So the ability to provide empathy, and I love the way that you described that, of like that's sort of the next phase of, as we use the AI to do more of the optimization, the importance of the humans to provide the empathy, the heart into the equation is increasingly more important. And I love it, and right when, right when you said, 50 million times a day yeah. <laughs> they i instantly was like what are they doing with machine learning right now because they have loads of data and that's exactly what you need to do yeah. cool, cool things right yeah so and that's like the commonwealth bank of australia is using a lot of machine learning for that they do they do some stuff that they call we, we call adaptive modeling and they're 
you know, to get a little techie, they're naive Bayesian machine learning models. So they're feedback loops, right, that are taking a series of predictors, figuring out what those predictors recommend, take, making the recommendation, taking an action, and then feeding back whether or not it was successful so that the thing can learn. And what they've done is they've deployed about 250 of those adaptive models across all these different channels and different outcomes they work with. And in their mind, that's the equivalent of 25 data scientists working for three years. And they deployed those 250 models in about two weeks. Nice. Right? So machine learning really allows us to do powerful things with the data at a speed that we, we never were able to before. I'm interested in you for a second. Something popped okay. into my mind while you were talking. Okay. You made these zigzag transitions throughout the organization. You're at Java, you're doing some sales, and now you're CTO. Yep. A lot of growth happened for you there over 20 years. How do you a lot like how do you create an environment so the next generation of talent can grow like that? Like why why did you stay there? Like what is it about the company? Yeah. Well, so, so, so I, I think there, there are a couple of things about the, the company that keep me around. You know, one, as I mentioned, the, the problems we solve are interesting and challenging. The technology we work with is exciting. You know, I, I touch AI and robotics and microservices and SaaS and all these different areas of the, the technology space. So I, I never feel like I'm being left behind by where the market is going. Um, you know, the company's growing and it's exciting to work for a place that's growing and but also dealing with the growth, you know, challenges of a growth company. That's an exciting thing to be a part of. And but most and probably most importantly, the people I work with are people I like, like the, the, the teams I work with in product management and in corporate strategy and in sales and my the fellow people in marketing, you know, they're they're people that I enjoy seeing every day. Yeah. Right? That's fundamentally what, what makes what makes work work worthwhile. And the thing that I that I tell, you know, people on my team and that, that I try to grow you know, is I think that there's a degree to which, and I you know, hopefully I'm not saying something sacrilegious as a as a CTO here, but a lot of technology skills, it's just syntax. If you have curiosity, if you have problem-solving capability, and you know how to take a problem and break it apart into pieces, right, and then put those pieces back together, the actual syntax of writing Java code or Lisp or Perl or JavaScript, that's syntax. And guess what? We're going to release a new framework and new code every couple of years, and the guys at Redmonk are going to show us what's going up the programming language. thing. That's going to change, right? That, but you can learn that if you've got the curiosity and the problem-solving skills to, to pick it up. So having that curiosity and having problem-solving skills is hugely important. But I also think the people skills side of it is increasingly more important. The, you know, the, the need for people who are just pure engineers or pure data scientists is going to become less and less. Oh, we're, going to have, we're going to have more and more of the systems doing us for that, right? So the people who can sit with one foot in the tech and one foot in the business and act as the communication line between those people, 
they're the ones whose jobs aren't going to be outsourced. They're not going to be replaced by automation, right? That's the, that's the role. So how do you build those skills of there's basic stuff? How do you build writing skills? How do you make sure you have communication skills? How do you have listening skills, right? So that you can really understand where somebody's coming from. And so what I'm trying to build in, in, in my team is, is people who bring that deep curiosity about the tech but also bring that sort of people-focused listening skill, um, because because that to me is where is where you can get real magic, and that's where you get people who can truly sort of drive and thrive and become leaders. I love it. And here's a fun fact that I read that backs up what you're talking about: a Global Economic Forum, right? Yep. They're like global. <laughs> They're the global. Yep. It's it's in the name. Um, they said that the largest shortage of skills in like 2021 is going to be soft skills slash leadership. Yep. It, 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 it completely right. There was a great article in Slate a couple of years ago where it talked about like how the future of CEOs are product managers, Ooh. right? And if you think about like, if you think about what, what that means, well, what's a product manager? Well, a product manager is somebody who can sit and bridge that line between the technology, how we do this stuff, and the need on the business side, and act as that communication channel, right? And when you think about what kind of skills would you need a CEO to have in today's world, well, that's it, right? So, so you know, I, I, I completely agree with that, that sort of world of, of skills development and world of where, where people need to be. You know, and that's, you know, that's what, what, what I, I always joke, but I'm, I'm serious about it. Like spending 25 years doing improv comedy was as useful in my career development as, you know, seven years writing Java code because the skills around listening and communicating and collaborating that you pick up from going and trying to make an audience laugh with five to six other people every night, right? Those kinds of soft skills and the boot camp you get on those soft skills to me is equally as valuable as the, yeah, I can go read through a piece of Java code and tell you what it's doing, right? And understand the underlying componentry of how a Java system is put together or a cloud system is put together. No, I like that when I, when I read it in your uh, bio because I did the like comedy boot camp thing at our local comedy theater and I did it a couple of yeah. times for fun. But the important thing that I picked up from that is it gives you an extreme sense of self-awareness of timing, of conversations, of how people react to different things. Writing a book will do that too. You put a book yeah. out there, everybody sees it differently and you get all this feedback. You're like, whoa, I didn't say that, but I'm glad you had, you found it useful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but another thing to back up what you said, which I'm liking you more as we continue to talk. <laughs> uh, this, I, we called last year, we called up the C CTO of Verizon, Hans. We're like, hey, Hans, uh, we'd love to have you on the show. By the way, so cool because we emailed him directly and he like just picked up the phone and called us. <laughs> great. Yeah. I know. I was like, what? And so he's like, yeah, but you, you don't want me. And we're like, why? He's like, well, in two weeks, I become the CEO and the new CTO. I'm promoting from like VP director of like something in engineering or product to be the new CTO. And I've seen a trend of CTOs becoming CEOs. I mean, at Verizon, at other companies. And it's because they were taught like 
for us to survive in product and engineering, we have to build something useful for the company yeah. or for the customer. I apologize. Build something useful for the customer. And in order to do that, you have to understand them and know them like really, really well. Yeah. And yeah. So like, and then I find some CEOs don't do that. <laughs> And I'm like, well, you're supposed to be like the chief of, of connecting the customer and the company, you yeah. know? So. Well, and yeah, and it's, it, it's, I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. You know, I'm still amazed when, when I, you know, hear in our clients, business leaders who say, well, like, well, you know, I'm not very technical and, 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 you know, to, to which my response is, well, what, how do you plan? What, what's the plan for thriving in the world that we live in today? without having some understanding of the technology, right? I mean, it's it's a truism, but if you're a bank, you're a software company that moves money around via ones and zeros. Like that's what you do. So having an understanding of how your technology does that seems to me to be pretty vital to, you know, actually leading, thinking, and driving the future strategy of what that organization is going to do. Oh, it's so important. I mean, especially cross-generational communication, which is something I've got an article for you too. I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, what past guest Brad Sosa, uh, AVI systems. So like when you're watching the baseball bat swing oh, yeah, on yeah. TV and they show you all the metrics, well, one of their divisions, they're large. They're, I think they're about the size of your company. Um, one of their divisions, like they make those, they hook up the sensors and then they sell those packages and those wipes and those transitions to yeah. like ESPN and stuff. Okay. But they're a really cool company. They also do like uh, neonatal video conferencing, like if, if you have like in the hospitals, just wide array of, of stuff. But he has this great article that talks about a conference room. And you go into a conference room and he shows the perspective of how each of the generations will see that conference room and either think it's awesome or think it's horrible or think it's difficult. But yeah, communication to your audience and especially cross-generational when you're talking with customers, right? Right? Yeah. Like they said, they're non-technical. Well, first of all, that's not true. They have a supercomputer in their pocket so right. <laughs> that they can operate effectively enough to get food, take them places and move their money around. So yeah, I think it's just, it's a lot about perspective of looking at it. Well, and I, and I, and I think, you know, you, you get a good point, which is you know, the customer, the end customer is increasingly whether they know it or not far more technically savvy and especially as as we move generationally right i mean my my kids so i've got a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old right my okay. my kids do not know a world where there is not connectivity everywhere they go and and they they also do not know a world where when they want to play with the minecraft game they essentially program new worlds in the minecraft game Right, like they, they right? I mean, they, they, these are people who are learning the concepts behind programming without even knowing that they're learning it at pretty young ages. So, I think the kinds of software that we're going to come see out, see come out of that generation, especially as we're enabled by, you know, all these tools that basically make the startup cost nothing because you can get cloud services and you don't even need to write code because you can just drag and drop most everything that you want to do. The kinds of solutions that generation is going to be able to put together is going to be pretty amazing and i hope we you know as the current generation of leaders open the communication channels enough to let some of that in and let those let those insights sort of drive where things can go yeah so speaking of communication and openness have you checked out like the elon musk starlink thing that, that he's doing no i haven't i haven't followed his star his starlink okay so uh -huh. i i hope i'm getting the name right but this weekend i had 
five minutes while my kids were sleeping. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I've got like 19 months and two months. So a boy and a girl. And okay. so I'm like right in that early stage, but I, I, I like to follow him on Twitter and I click on one of his, on the article, dude, they're putting like 5,000 near earth orbit satellites into space that will orbit in this net pattern around <laughs> the globe to provide anytime satellite, like we'll get our Wi-Fi from satellite is the concept. Wow. And you know, like <laughs> the satellites are already built on, like they're at the launch facility. They have FCC approval. Like this has been going on for a while. They're getting ready to launch them now. I mean, it, 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 it some, of, some of the stuff and some of the, the impact of these things is going to be pretty amazing. And there's what's interesting, right? You, you, did you read um, Thomas Friedman wrote a book called Thank You for Being Late? Oh, um, no. it, it's, one, it's one of his it's one of his newer books. And he has this he has this uh, chart that's from Astro Teller, who's, you know, the moonshot CEO at Google. But he, what, he, what he does is he shows that there's this curve of like, we've got this pace of technology change, right, that's happening, and it's just getting faster and faster and faster. And, you know, it's like the Starlink you know, satellites and AI deep learning and all this kind of stuff. But it's reached a point that it has probably surpassed our ability as humans to keep up with the pace of technology change. Yes. And so much of the gating factor in what goes on in the world is not going to be about the technology's ability to support it, right? Self-driving cars are not going to be because we don't have the requisite amount of vision capability and decisioning capability and intelligent capability that we can put into a car. It's going to be because we don't have the regulatory infrastructure, the ethical infrastructure, the indemnity infrastructure to actually figure out what happens when one of those cars goes down the road, right? You know, we, we've got social media that is so good at targeting people and getting people to change the way they think that political systems in the US and the UK and other places can't actually keep up with what the social media targeting is allowed. So yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated by the idea of what needs to change in our businesses, in society, in the way we do education, that actually helps bend that curve of how humans can keep pace with the technology change that's coming. Because the technology change is going to keep going, you know, off the charts. And, you know, most of those things you mentioned, you're going to need people that have exceptional people skills to right. deal with it. Exactly. Exactly. It's going, to, it's, it's going to take people who, it's not going to be an engineer who figures it out by themselves. But it's also not going to be a politician who puts his hands or his or her hands up and says, I'm not technical. You know, I don't know how to do this. It's got to be somebody who can stand with a foot firmly planted in each in each land and actually help drive those conversations. Personally, I love it because I'm all about you have to be constantly aware of the market, where the value of the skills are, what skills you need to have. Like if we just if I only ever ha had needed to be an engineer and that was it. I'd be like, that's not fun for me, you know? Yeah. No, and 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 one of the things, you know, that that we're seeing, we do a lot of work with in the in this area called low code, right? Which is about how do I engage more people in the building of the software for the enterprise? Okay. And what what I think is really powerful and exciting about that is 
if I can get it so that if I need to build a new payment processing app or a new service case management app or an investigations app, and instead of doing the traditional, hey, I'm going to have some business person write down what they need, and they're going to do it completely in a vacuum without understanding what's technically possible, and they're going to throw it over a wall to a sprint team that's going to start running some sprints and eventually hand them back something. Like, but if I can actually get those business people to put hands on keyboards and actually start designing the solution and become aware of what the technology can and cannot do and what's easy and what's hard, not only do I get stuff out the door a lot faster, uh, you know, we, we've seen 10, 12 times faster than doing this in traditional code, but I also get stuff that's more innovative, that meets the needs of my business better. And, and, the, and, and perhaps you know, most exciting is you create these career opportunities for people. You can take somebody who has spent their previous part of the career sitting on the floor of a contact center in the floor of a business operation and say, hey, you can take that knowledge now that you've amassed and use it to actually change the way that this function in your company runs through technology. So you're creating not only just great opportunities for businesses to change and solve problems, but career opportunities for people in those organizations. So is your company, do you have those low code systems? Yeah, so we've got, you know, there was just an, an article that came out about an organization called National Australia Bank, right? And they're using us across a variety uh, of areas. They, they, they use a, we, we, we help, we built a bot for them that does uh, email automation. So it uses NLP, natural language processing, to figure out what somebody is emailing them about pull out the relevant pieces of data and then automate the processing of it so they don't have to have people manually triaging emails. But they're also running a program that they call Universal Workflow. So they've got a team from IT and they take our low-code application platform, which lets you, you know, build stuff just by dragging and dropping, and they go into business areas and they say, look, we're going to send one business analyst we're going to sit down with a couple of your business experts and together in a couple of days, we're going to build you an app that addresses this business problem and then hand off you the skills to maintain it and evolve it and change it going forward. And if you can do that, you can start tackling a lot of these little problems across the business that oftentimes IT hasn't gotten to or business people have built, you know, little duct tape and bailing wire systems on access databases to solve. And I can solve it in a much more coherent way, but I can also give the business some control so that they can make some of those changes themselves. Yeah, because those projects, they just collect dust, get it unmaintained, then you struggle right. with departments about resources and who's going to... Wait, so is your... So is this like the word BPM? That's like huge in the low code world, right? What does that mean? So B BPM is business process management, right? And, and, and BPM has been around, it all, it's also beats per minute, but, but <laughs> in, 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 in the software world, it's business process DJ management. DJ Don here. <laughs> but, but the um, business process management, which as a, both a software capability and as a discipline has been around for a long time. And what, what BPM tools were about was, well, if instead of designing a business process on Visio, right? Remember, if anybody remembers Microsoft <laughs> Visio, yeah. how we you know, drew business processes, and then handing it off to somebody, what if I could just draw the picture and that generated the application? Oh, come on. And, yeah. And that, that, that's, that's fundamentally how you build stuff in Pega. So like when you 
build apps in Pega, you drag and drop a picture of here are the steps that my process needs to go through. Here, here are the things that need to happen at each stage or step. If I, wanna, if I need a UI, I drag and drop and say, these are the fields I want to show at this point of the screen. Here's the layout I want to see on my desktop. Here's how I want to adjust the layout if it shows up on a mobile device. And we generate and make the app for you. Come on. And is it wait, is it self-service? Could I like go register or no? So I mean, you could if you go to pega.com right now, you can sign up for a free trial and check it out. Like I could actually like, like build a little process. You can build a little process. Yeah, totally. You could you you could be building you could you could build a little process in about 20 to 30 minutes. Because I've got a legitimate interest right now. So we we do the podcast, right? We yeah. have um all the the entries in a spreadsheet and then we have a, like a billion check boxes and yeah. you know, we, we do all of that. And I've been considering using some of my engineering resources to, to build some system to help us deal with all the clips and the content and everything like yeah. that. And the management of that being posted on social media and firing off, you know, information. Yeah. So like we could probably use that to build something. Yeah, you could you could you could use that kind of the what we do to build something. Now in all in all honesty, but it be we primarily sell that stuff to Fortune 500 companies. <laughs> so you might you might have a hard time get one, getting one of our sales reps to call you back. But it's self-service, that's it, cool. But 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 you certainly could sign up for 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 the free trial and kind of and, and and build that out. But that's exactly what we're doing. And what we've built the technology to do is to make sure that you can do that actually at the scale of somebody like a National Australia Bank or a Ford Motor Company or a Roche Pharmaceuticals, where not only do I need to do that little app, I need to build 500 of those little apps. And I want to make sure that if I build connectivity inside of one of them to a system, I can reuse it every other place. And that I'm making sure that data that needs to be secure stays secure, that my app is GDPR compliant if I have rules that I need to deal with. So being able to allow that degree of control and simplicity, but still let IT maintain some of the governance and some of the security and some of the reuse aspects that at any kind of massive organization, you're always going to want to have in place. So you must have built this platform app store thing that's multi-tenant so companies can have their own app yeah. stores and like tons yeah, so of so yeah. so yeah to get, to get get into a little bit of the tech right so so we have a core technology we call the pega platform right and that's our core product we have also built apps on top of those products so we have a customer service desktop that like somebody oh, cool. like american express uses to do all of their customer service processing or anthem uses to handle all of their member servicing um, we have a marketing engine, which is what I was talking about with Commonwealth Bank of Australia or Sprint or Vodafone uses all across Europe to do real-time marketing to, to their customers. And those are all built on top of that, that platform. Um, and then the way we deploy it is we, because of the size client that we work, we actually chose a number of years ago to go with a more of a, a virtual private model. So when we deploy a system for, say, um, Sprint, we do it in a private tenant for them on our cloud. So mm -hmm. they don't have to worry about security concerns, data intermingling, et cetera. We've built the cloud operations that allows us to upgrade and maintain this and do all the ops stuff for them so that they get that SaaS experience, but they get a degree of isolation into their world. The, the other thing that we think is really important on the cloud side is 
especially at the enterprise level, you know, we are moving into a multi-cloud world. And what I, what I mean by that is organizations are going to not be in a one-size-fits-all cloud. So, for example, Google, who we do all of this network operations stuff for, they don't need us to run their cloud-based software for them. Right. Right? They, 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 they're pretty good at that. They have an offering called Google Cloud, right? They, they're smart enough to know that we do a lot of our cloud-based stuff with AWS, so they probably don't want to pay us to do an AWS app for them either. But we give our clients the option to take a Kubernetes container, a sort of box that we put the app in, and Google can go run it themselves. So Google runs us on the cloud, but they manage it, and they manage it on their cloud. And what, what's, what was interesting to me, I was out at Google Next, which is their, their big event they did in... Um, San Francisco a few weeks ago, and they just announced a whole new offering in their cloud service called Anthos. And it's basically all about supporting this kind of model where oh, cool. they, they're basically saying like, if you can use Kubernetes, you can, we can manage your workload, whether you want to run it on Google Cloud, whether you want to run it on AWS, whether you want to run it on some iron you have sitting behind your firewall. So we're trying to make sure that while we continue to grow our own cloud-hosted SaaS business, we continue to allow our very large enterprise customers the ability to deploy what we call cloud choice, to put this on the cloud that they want to run it if they have a different option they'd prefer. It sounds cool. Cloud choice. Cloud choice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, the, 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 the multi-cloud or cloud choice world seems to be, at least at the enterprise level, where, where organizations are headed. So I'm giving a talk on like Friday <laughs> okay. about digital transformation, like what I've learned talking to all these great leaders about digital transformation. You're like right in the heart of it. What's, yeah. a, what's like a, what's a big trend? What's a, you know, I need some content for my talk. <laughs> all right. So, 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 so what I, you know, the, the, there are two aspects of digital transformation that we spend a lot of time talking about. And the first is this aspect of how do you engage your customers? First and foremost, you know, digital transformation, I think, is about understanding the today's customer, right? And expectations for the customer due to a whole bunch of reasons, right? You know, people, organizations like Amazon and Google and others are setting, Apple are setting expectations of what good looks like in a customer experience world. Right? And because customers are more empowered, they can complain about anything online, they've got you know, devices that allow them to be connected at any moment, they expect things to be easy, they expect things to be seamless, right? So when they are using their mobile app and then they walk into a store, they don't want that to feel like a completely disconnected experience, and they want things to be personalized. They want it to be about them, not you know, a generic sort of view. And the challenge that we see at the organizations that we deal with is when you really look at a large enterprise, they, they weren't built to deliver that. They, they have massive systems. They have redundancies and legacy complexity. They have silos that have split the business into operational chunks that don't work nicely together. So the big challenge of digital transformation is how do you deliver that easy, frictionless, seamless, personalized experience that a customer wants, yet do it with a bunch of technology and silos and organizational structures that were never designed to work that way? 
right? That's the, that's the fundamental challenge from, from an enterprise perspective that we see. So what we have the answer. Pegasystems. Like, like, so, so, so I think, I don't think we have, I don't think we have the answer in the sense that I don't believe technology is ever a silver bullet. Right. But I do think we've seen enough to know that there are mistakes that organizations make and how to avoid them. Right. So one of the big mistakes that we've seen organizations make is they jump into and try to solve things at the channel level. Right. So we're going to digitally transform. We're going to build a chatbot. Right. Or we're doing digital <laughs> transformation. We're going to build a mobile app. Right. Digital transformation. Everybody wins. Right. Well, but, you know, and, and I literally I heard I heard an SVP from one of our competitors stand up at a conference recently and say the chatbots that everybody knows and loves. To which my response was, I don't love chatbots. Like, I don't think there are many customers that are like, oh, great. I get to talk to a chatbot. <laughs> right. So. So Usually the, my mental thing is like, are you kidding me? Right, exactly. <laughs> so so, so the, the, instead of obsessing about the latest channel, what organizations need to learn to think about is what's the journey the customer is trying to go on? What, 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 are they, what are they trying to do? They're trying to sign up for a new account or they're trying to get help buying a house or they're, they're trying to get phone service for their 16-year-old who you know, is just getting their first cell phone or what are they trying to do, right? And, and then make sure that the channels plug into that naturally for the customer. So maybe I wanna start on a chatbot. I wanna quickly though let somebody connect to a real human being and I want that connection to be seamless so that they don't have to be like, well, I was on your website trying to do this and it got stuck, so now let me, right? No, I wanna I want be able to pick that up and just carry it along. And if you think journeys, you get there. The second, the second thing that we see organizations struggle with is there's a lot of, everybody is very excited about automation again, right? So we're, 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 in, we're in one of the, the great sort of automation waves that happens like every 15 to 20 years and automation becomes a big talk. And so like everybody's talking about RPA, robotic process automation is sort of the buzzword du jour. There's a robotic process automation company that just today announced some new round of funding where they're they're valued at seven billion dollars yeah right right like which is a company which is like you know a ridiculous multiple with 30 million in revenue (laughs) close to it like like literally close to it like maybe like 150 200 million in revenue so still like pretty ridiculous that is pretty that's like 52x man (laughs) yeah right so so but a lot of what this this robotic stuff to my mind is missing is it's focused very much on I want to automate little tasks. So I want to automate somebody typing into an Excel spreadsheet. Well, I can automate that. Okay, great. Or I've got somebody who's you know using uh, uh, another app. Well, I can automate that. And and I think that's great. I think like doing that and in continually improving the productivity of an organization is fine. But at the end of the day that customer journey and the reason that you have processes in your business to begin with are because somebody somewhere wants an outcome, right? Somewhere at the end of that process is an outcome. Like I want you to fix my broken service. I want you to figure out 
why that charge I didn't make showed up on my credit card and make the money go, make the charge go away. What, and so how do you build automation around the outcome so that I make it easy for the customer and I make it easy for the employee who's helping them to get to the outcome they want? And that takes not just tinkering at the task level, but stepping back and saying, well, what does my process need to look like from end to end? So, so learning to think about outcomes instead of just tasks. And then the third thing that we count, you know, touch organizations to do is digital transformation is really about thinking end to end. So it's not just, if you're doing digital transformation inside a silo, like if you're digitally transforming this portion of your operation, you're probably not transforming digitally. Like digital transformation cuts across silos. So how do you do things that are cross-functional? So those are sort of the, you know, the, the areas where we try to guide organizations to, 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 to fix stuff. I think, I think it takes a certain type of leader to actually stand up in the organization and make that kind of change. So yeah, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking about like how companies can screw this up. All right? right. And so like, let's say a company did some technological advancement or improvement in a silo. And the example that flew through my mind a minute ago was like, if they didn't do it in accounting, because accounting's too complex, and instead over here, but a key value to the customer is being able to access their accounting. But like if Verizon made it so like you could do everything in their app, but like adjust your bill pay because right. their accounting is like that wouldn't be digital transformation. That, that, that's right. And, and, and if, if you don't fix the process, right, if you don't make the process better and the process has to cross all the aspects of your business and all you do is you stick a mobile up the app up there. All you're doing is exposing the customers to your crappy processes, right? You're, 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 you're making. <laughs> That's funny. Here's my legacy system. See them right, fast. Right. Here's, yeah. Here's, here's the thing. Like you can't just operate from the mode of like, yeah, my, my CSRs hate this process. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just make my customers do it. So <laughs> the, the, the calls and the meetings you must have, I can imagine like, obviously it's like a rare case, no. but I'm just, my mind is filling with all of the possible weird situations you have. Well, our, our customers are actually pretty enlightened, right? So, you know, the, 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 the great thing that we have is we've got the benefit of people who have, when we, when we end up working with clients, we're working with people who get this, right? And they yeah. see this vision. And to your point, earlier, they really care about their customers and their employees as humans mm -hmm. and are thinking about, yes, profitability and yes, growth, but also how do I make that a great experience for my customer? How do I make the day-to-day -day experience with my CSR better so that they're happier? So when they talk to the customer, the customer hears a happy person talking to them. Oh, yeah. Right. So, right. so that, you know, and, and it's, so, so that's, you know, that's what we get to, to get to work with. And, and from a technology perspective, what we try to do is offer those people what I, you know, talked about earlier, that ability to make those real time decisions to figure out what the customer needs and the ability to do that automation that cuts across the silos to manage the work from end to end. Um, yeah. So, so I don't think that that's, you know, all of digital transformation. There's lots of other pieces that fall into there. But I think from you know helping organizations figure out how do I map that customer experience you want to deliver and actually do it in the world of systems and silos that you actually have, 
that goes a long way to actually helping these organizations on their on their transformational journey. Yeah, you seem like very well versed in this process, especially for the large companies. And the cool thing I like about you is you can't escape in life the reality that your vibe attracts your tribe, right? Yeah. So because you're so passionate about it, because you're org- that means you know, your organization is going to follow suit, which means you also have customers who are passionate about it. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Well, that's what they I mean. Like, right. I mean, I, 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 I get, I get the same thing talking to you. You know, you get when, when you're passionate and excited about this stuff, right? That's what, that's what gets whether it's customers, whether it's partners we work with, you know, whether it's other our fellow employees. Like, that's what, that's what makes everybody want to get up and come to work and actually come and do this stuff and sometimes roll up our sleeves and do sometimes what is hard, challenging work. Well, it's, it, we're excited and passionate about it. Well, this is one of the best descriptions. Like how everything tied together with all the different examples and how well it was articulated of digital transformation that I have ever experienced. So I'm definitely going to include you in a little shout out. I'm going to take, I took notes while you were talking. Oh, great. Yeah, I liked, I liked some of like think journeys, not channels. Like that was like a really good one. And uh, I'm going to include that at the, like in the talk. Uh, I would, we, 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 we'd give love you a shout that. out. That, yeah. we, we, we'd love that. My, so. my job, like selfishly is like, amplifying signals, right? Like, yeah, you guys have this brand, this personality, this group of people. If I tell, if I bring awareness to that, then it benefits me because you're judged by the people you introduce to, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, and 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 well, like we, we we appreciate that, you know. And I think you know one of the the things that that part of what I think my job is as CTO is to help evangelize the technology, help help amplify a little bit of our signal, right, out to other CTOs at our client base and CIOs and people in our the organizations that we work with who are trying to drive the same kind of change that we support, right? Because I think I think with all of this, you know, we're all we're we're. The other thing about digital transformation is there was a Forrester report that came out recently and there was some stat where it was something like, you know, 20% of organizations reported that they had completed their digital transformation initiative. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was sort of like, you know, I, I got to the, uh, I, it was, I had that sort of Princess Bride moment where like, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. Like, if you've completed your digital transformation, I don't think you've really done digital transformation. I think you've, you've, on a project but so much of digital transformation is about just accepting the fact that we're we're in a world of constant change and constant reinvention and how are you building the technology and the teams and the culture that allows for that on an ongoing basis and i love that so the i pulled up my talk while you were talking so i could give you the notes so it starts out with the right culture so one thing i picked up from bryson who's the cto of equifax talking about digital transformation with him. And he made this amazing point that you have to first determine if you have a culture that accepts the change, that will accept digital transformation Mm -hmm. prior to actually trying to push any digital transformation down the pipeline. And I was like, oh, what a good point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to include stuff about you in there. I have stuff about empowering people. So like once you have the culture, you have to empower people and explain and talk about it. Um, Leveraging experts. I'll probably include you in that, right? Like third parties that understand the areas that you are unfamiliar with because trying to learn it your own from scratch is just 
bypass that learning curve, right? Exactly. And then um, vision and discipline, like having a very clear vision of what it looks like for your company and your customer, and then the, the discipline to stay that course well, because it's not easy. Like there will be issues in digital transformation. Yeah, and you and you need to you need to be able to can can to you know again we some of these terms we use all the time like you know fail fast or fail forward but you need to you need to accept the fact that this is an ongoing and learning thing and part of agile is is allowing yourself to have a couple sprints that you screw up like oh we went down the path that didn't work okay great that's all right because every two weeks we can reset and we can keep moving and that's that's the only way you kind of keep this this culture going and i think the people who the people who can do digital transformation fundamentally understand that and have a degree of comfort with it again they all need to take improv classes because you 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 learn that sort of that 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 sort of comfort but 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 that's but but i do think that that's a big factor in it so shout out for that right who, where do you get local improv classes? You just go to your local comedy club? Yeah. So, so, you know, I work with an organization for, for, I still work with them called Improv Boston. And I, so I've, I have a sweet spot in my heart for Improv Boston, not least of all, because I met my wife performing there. So like, so, you know, that every time I drive past that theater, I'm like, this is one of the most important places in my life. I was, we drove past the old location where Empire Boston used to be this weekend. And I was explaining to my kids that if that building wasn't there, there's a good chance that neither of you would exist. So, you know, <laughs> it's like very, 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 very important, important thing. But, but Improv Boston is, you know, based here in, in Boston and Cambridge, they do classes, but in any major city now, the great thing is they're improv theaters, they're, they're passionate people. And it's, again, to me, it's not only is it a lot of fun, but there is real sort of, skills and development that that i feel like i'm lucky to have had a chance to do and continue to learn to do and continue to you know go back and refresh and put in practice and and relearn which i think we all need to do well it's yeah it's it's super fun and it's part of life so you're primarily in boston that's where you are most of the time yep cool. I, I i'm in boston you know we have we have offices in amsterdam and reading and hyderabad um but you know, I, I I work across Boston, and then I you know get to spend time with our customers kind of around the world, which is nice. That's like the best part, right? It is. We had some cool customers. One of them um, make does the animation for the Lego movies and like Happy Feet and oh my gosh, yeah, they're called Animal Logic, and they're out in LA, and they're also in Australia and Canada. But those are like the three areas that they are. Okay. Yeah, but they they also did. Um, it's like odd. They did like the Matrix. And then they had like a 10 year gap and then they do all these animated features. Well, I mean, it, and, and that's to me, to me, it's, it's really neat to be able to, you know, one of the things you asked about early, early on was, you know, what are the, the skills, you know, that you, you try to encourage. And I, I always try to tell people on my team that you need to be relentlessly curious about the technology, but you also need to be relentlessly curious about our customers. Like what, what are their problems that they're trying to solve? How are they using the technology? What works for them? What doesn't work for them? Because fundamentally, you know, that's the that's the connection that that we as people in a product organization and a marketing organization need to help build. How do I help understand what our customers need so that I can connect that to the technology that will help solve their problems? Boom. That's why I like you. You say this. You say this stuff. I agree with. <laughs> oh man, it, no, it's good. And you guys, right now in tech, 
I looked up on LinkedIn. It said you have about 5,000 or so people. Yep. I don't know how accurate LinkedIn is. That's, yeah, how, that's, many that's of, right. how many of that's those right. are like in the IT engineering? Um, we've probably got about, uh, I'm, I'm guessing now, but I'm going to guess about 2,000 in, in engineering. Um, so with a big, you know, we have a, a headquarters of product and engineering here, but we also have a big engineering presence in Hyderabad. We have engineering offices in Krakow and Amsterdam and a couple other places around the world. But, um, but yeah, we, we're, we're, we're very fiercely committed to engineering. You know, our, our CEO, I think is at his heart an engineer in many ways. So we, we, we look pretty relentlessly and pretty deeply at the technology and how you build it in a way that is rock solid, built to scale, but also really easy to use. Nice. So you have a solid foundation. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be out. I have, um, you know, Vista print. Is- oh Yeah. They're owned by Sempress, but they're out in Boston. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah, I have some friends who work over there. Okay, do you know the CTO, Martin? I do. I've not, I've not met Martin. Oh yeah, he's he's really cool. Um, yeah, he's got like if you looked at his LinkedIn picture, he's got this hilarious like dinosaur shirt on. It's it's pretty cool. You would like him a lot. Uh, but I'm out there speaking this summer to all of like Vista Prince all hands engineering thing. But maybe when I'm out in Boston, I'll come by and say hello. I yeah, we'd love to host you here. Cool. We'd love to love to love to get to meet you in person. Yeah. Is there anything else you want me to push out to the audience? Anything else you want to get out there? Uh, well, hold on. Let me start. let me look over at my PR guy. We are we we good? He's PR guy's happy. Uh, PR guy's happy. All right. PR guy's happy. So I think I think we're I, I I think we're good. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. This has been a lot of fun. Yep. You have a fantastic day. All right. You too. Hopefully, I get to see you in person in Boston. Absolutely. All right. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.